0: Trust your Bibles have been prepared. We're in the book of James tonight. James chapter 5, and I'll be reading tonight from verse 7 to verse number 9. James chapter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord, draw it nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a great and awesome God. We thank you for your goodness that keeps running after us. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and for how you've shown up time and time again in the lives of your people. Thank you for the wonderful testimonies we've heard tonight of your goodness, your faithfulness. And I pray tonight as your word goes forth that you would use it once again in our hearts and lives to accomplish your will and to bring honor and glory to your name. Thank you for your blessings upon us. We are so unworthy, but we thank you for making us worthy through your Son. Give me the words you'll have me to say. May they be a source of strength and encouragement to each person who would listen tonight. Take full control and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you and give you all the honor and glory for you alone are worthy of it. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. I've had the experience, and maybe you have as well, where you go to a store or a business and you encounter a person who is supposed to be providing customer service, but they give you a very difficult time with their comments and with their attitude. And rather than serve the customer, they seem, for some reason, intent on obstructing you. For example, they try to prevent you from returning an item that is within the guidelines of the return policy. They get upset over things that they should not be upset about. You say, I would like to see a supervisor. That's not possible. You leave that experience saying something like, that person was acting like the business belonged to them. You ever encountered that? And what you're really saying is that this person who was placed there to serve others has crossed a line to where they are no longer functioning as a steward or as a manager. And I'm sure you would agree that we find that attitude annoying and even offensive. Each and every one of us has been given or endowed with time, talent, and treasure. These things have been given to us by God. In other words, they don't belong to us, but they have been entrusted to us for us to manage and to manage well. And in managing what God has given to us, we ought to be serving others. This is the responsibility of a steward, to manage properly what he or she has been given, recognizing that a steward does not own anything. James addresses this matter of stewardship in James chapter 5. And as we look at these verses and examine them, we would realize that, He's dealing with the proper mindset that we ought to have as stewards. You see, when the mind is right, when the thinking is right, when we have the proper perspective on things, proper attitudes and actions follow. I've entitled this message and this series of messages in James chapter 5, The Essence of Proper Stewardship. We saw last week that he began in verses 1 to 6 with what I've dubbed or labeled the corruption of materialism. An improper and inappropriate attitude towards things and the accumulation of things. This often trips up many. If you were to isolate the things that we've been given as stewards, time, talent, and treasure. Treasure seems to be the one that is most difficult for us as people to manage or to be content with. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 highlights this very familiar verse. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's no accident that James then focuses on this aspect of stewardship. We saw last week, by way of very quick and brief review, in verse number one, an alarming declaration. He makes a declaration of individuals who had much that they are to weep and howl when you would expect that if you are in abundance of things, well, you should be relaxing and smiling. But this declaration was because the accumulations were defiled. Verses 2 and 3, we saw, his time and time again, he says, your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. There was a problem with how they had acquired what they had acquired. They had acquired it, as we saw in verse number four, by deceit. See, God has no problem with people having things. He blesses us with things. But there was a problem with how these things had been acquired. They had taken advantage of the destitute. The approach was despicable. And God says, I'm aware of your deception. And ultimately, these acquisitions will destroy you. In verses 7 to 9, I want to take a brief look at it here tonight in what I've entitled a Christ-centered mindset. You see, James pivots in verse number 7 from what he had outlined in verses 1 to 6, and he gives an exhortation here. He said, rather than this mindset towards material things, I want you to have a Christ-centered mindset As a good steward, God has given us some things. God has blessed us. What is the perspective that we ought to have? Very briefly, I wanted to look here tonight at verses 7, 8, and 9. And jot this down. He gives an exhortation. And this exhortation, ultimately, to summarize it, is the perspective that we ought to have on this matter of accountability. It's a perspective of accountability. This is applicable to everything that has been entrusted to us as stewards. How we are to view these things in light of the one who has given them to us. Notice first of all, and jot this down, James highlights this thing that has to be at the forefront of our minds and in our hearts, the return of the Lord. Look at that verse again. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto, what? The coming of the Lord. The one who has given me the time and the talent and the treasure. Make no mistake about it. He is coming back. And we will have to give an account to him on our stewardship. So whatever we do with what he's entrusted to us, we must be continually thinking about his return. If you had parents like mine and they seem to be becoming more and more extinct these days but these parents gave us chores. In other words, things to do around the house. And when they gave these shows, sometimes they would leave. But they would advise with great caution, make sure when I get back, the dishes are washed. The kitchen is clean. The bathroom is clean. The lawn is mowed. The weeds are pulled. Whatever these things are, make sure they are done by the time I get back. So, when they leave, as wise children as we were, we understood that we had a time to work with. But we kept our eyes on the clock. If you wasted too much time, you move faster because what? You are anticipating their return. Sometimes you find yourself in a situation where you are hoping that they're delayed. And you hear the car coming and the gate opening and you're running around real fast to make sure everything gets done in time. Why? You are focused on being ready for the return. My friend, as it relates to our stewardship. Let's not be distracted based on everything that's happening here on earth because we lose sight of our purpose and recognizing that we will have to give an answer to the Lord on our stewardship. That's why James highlights, listen, be mindful of the return of the Lord. And the thing about his return, unlike maybe that of our parents when we were younger, is that we don't know when he's coming back. So James advises, be patient. Don't get distracted, because sometimes it seems like there's a delay, but he says, keep it at the forefront of your mind. Patience is key. James highlights here, a Christ-centered mindset ought to be focused on the return of the Lord. But notice what James says as well. While you're waiting and while you're patient for his return, recognize that this same God who has given us what he has given us to steward has given us the resources for living. Now, James uses the analogy of a farmer or a husbandman. A great example of a, a steward. Why? Because there's this farmer husbandman must do his or her part. But this steward must also be patient to depend on God while working. Now look at the verse again in verse number 7. It says, Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and had, look at this, long patience for it until what? he received the early and latter rain. The Jews, those in Palestine, they were heavily dependent on agriculture for their sustenance and for their survival. And so the rain was critical. Early rain was shortly after sowing the corn so that it would not rot or be blown away by the dust. The latter rain was just before harvest, so that the ears of corn would be full and useful for flour. So, in other words, they were completely dependent on God. They had a level of dependence on God for the rain. Now, as much as we know that we need the rain and we need it to survive, in 2022 and the 21st century, we tend not to be as conscious of our dependence on God as they were back in that time, I believe, because of our advances in technology and our reservoirs and our greenhouses and our hydroponics. But let us never lose sight of the fact that irrespective of all of these advances, my friends, we still need God. Never lose sight of that fact. Man has sadly gotten to the place where he has acquired feelings of self-sufficiency. I don't know if you heard recently of China's artificial sun. But according to Smithsonian Magazine, the artificial sun is another name for China's nuclear fission reactor, reactor called the Experimental Advanced Superconducting Tokamak, an acronym for EAST. The heavy metal device recently reached temperatures five times hotter than the sun. But I love this last part. But it is located firmly on the ground. There have been some rumors that uh, China uh, got this thing launched into space that is fake news. That is not true. Be careful of the things that you read out there on social media. Listen, God knows how to bring us back to the recognition and realization that we are not God and we will never replace him. We must continue to depend on God. He is an on-time God. Let's look to him. Listen, we need him for the very breath that we breathe. And when it comes to this matter of stewardship, James wanted them to understand, be patient. Because God provides what we need for living. He gives the resources for living. He says, be focused on the return of the Lord. But thirdly, he says, here's another reason why you need to be patient. Why a patient steward in this case, as it is the farm of the husbandman. Listen, God is also needed by us to provide the results of our labor. He says, behold, the husbandman waiteth, look at this, for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. The farmer waits for the rain, but he also waits for the fruit. That's why patience is so important in stewardship. Bad practices and attitudes seeping when impatience is the result. You know, we as people, we tend to want what we want, and we want it now. Don't we? We see this attitude creeping into, especially even the younger generation, of impatience. I'm just sharing, forgive the personal story, but I'm using it to illustrate. When my wife and I just got married. And there's a tendency. And I'm, I'm telling you, I observe it and I hear about it. That people get married and they want everything one time. That's something I'm telling my parents. Warned me from. You know, you say this person has this business and they have it for many years. Listen, they started small. And they grew. And they advanced and they developed and they acquired a solid foundation to where they could launch where they are. But when my wife and I got married, I remember as we prepared for marriage and I was looking around for a place where we would live and I was having assistance because I, I wasn't even in the area where we, I didn't have the opportunity to get to Northern Virginia, prior to us moving there. So a friend of ours was helping us to locate where we would be and sending me pictures and figuring things out. And we rented a one-bedroom apartment. And I'm telling you, when I took that drive from New York on the Greyhound bus, four-hour drive, and got to the apartment... When I walked in and opened the door, listen, I thought it was a palace because it had carpet on the floor. I mean, I thought, wow, man, this is awesome, small and cozy. But I was very content. After all, it was two of us. Why need a big, sprawling house for? One-bedroom apartment was wonderful, adequate, up some flights of stairs, but it was great. As we planned and married now for two years and three years, began thinking about having children. We said, well, the one-bedroom apartment probably is not going to work. So we began exploring Other options, well, whether we would continue to rent. As we continue to explore renting, we realized that it made no sense financially based on what the rent prices were compared to buying. Buying actually was cheaper in terms of monthly expenses than renting. And so we bought a house. But in order to buy a house that we could afford, we moved from where we lived like 25 to 30 miles south away from the city so that we could afford a house. We had to deal with traffic out of this world. Time and effort get to church. But we had more time than money So we decided we would go that route. (laughs) But as we lived in that house for a number of years, we realized, boy, the strain was adding up. We were heavily involved in church. We didn't scale back on any ministry involvement. We were involved in choir. We were involved in visitation. We were involved in singles ministry. We were involved in Whatever there was to be involved in, we were involved. And so because of a desire to be more involved in church and the wear and tear was piling up and adding on our bodies, we prayed that God would open up a door for us to move closer. This was not because we weren't satisfied with our house. Listen, we could have lived in that house if we were there till this day. Because it was adequate, we had enough space, When we bought it, we were able to customize what we wanted. We picked out the colors of the carpet, the bulbs, the fixtures, everything. But because of the distance, we wanted to serve God and to continue to be effective in doing so. And so we searched for another house. God allowed us to move much closer to church. And thus we bought another house. We would have stayed there. Content until whenever. And that's when God moved on my heart to be able to move back to Nevis, or to the islands, or to be involved in full-time ministry. And so after living in that house for eight years, we put the house on the market, took one year before it would sell. And after it sold, we rented A house which we thought we would be in until we moved back. But the landlord, after we were in there for less than a year, approached us wanting to sell. And so we allowed her to break the lease. And we moved out, found another apartment even closer to church, just down the street from the church and were there until the time came for us to move back here, rented for two and a half years until we moved back. Why? Because of a desire to serve the Lord. Move back here to Nevis. Why am I... I'm saying this for a reason. I'm not patting myself on the shoulder. I'm saying that there must be a desire To wait on the Lord. We moved back here to Nevis, rented again, searched every nook and cranny on Nevis for four years until God opened the door when we were not looking to find our current home. What am I saying? there must be a continued dependence on the Lord when it comes to this matter of stewardship for him to bring about the results. It is in our best interest for God to do it. Because when God does it, he does it well. And here's what we must understand when it comes to this matter of stewardship you must actively be engaged in serving him. You see, that's what the, 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 the farmer is doing. He's working. He's plowing. He's, he's weeding. He's, he's tilling. He, he's fertilizing. He, he's doing all these things, but he's dependent and expecting God to provide the fruit in his time. And let me tell you something. When you are working for God, God provides for you. the results of your labor. But let me give you two final things here. Notice this. And remember, all of this is the mindset for proper stewardship. Verse number nine. Understand this. When you have the proper mindset, understand that when you give an account to God, you are going to report on your lot. What do I mean by that? You are only responsible and required to report and to give an account on what God gave to you. Not what he gave to somebody else. So that's why James says in verse number 9, grudge not one against another man you look at this word here and you wonder if this thing was written in in caribbean in colloquial language you know but he grudge bad boy he grudge grudge it says it didn't say not be jealous he said grudge not one against another brethren lest he be condemned here's what james is saying when it comes to this matter of stewardship don't be jealous and envious one of one another, focus on what you have. Amen. And what you have been given. Amen. Not what somebody else has. The parable of the talents. You know what happened with the parable of the talents, I believe, even though it doesn't say? And I believe that the one who had the one talent was upset that he got the least amount and went and buried it but what he forgot is that he was only responsible for that one. He wasn't responsible for the five that the other person got. He wasn't responsible for the two. And here's the the harsh reality. If you can't manage one, you can't manage five. So here he is, all upset that he only got one and buried the one. The mere fact you buried the one, you can't handle the five. So don't grudge the five. Focus on your one and do your best with the one and God will give you some more. After you prove you can handle the one. James said, grudge not. The essence of stewardship requires that we focus on what God has given us and don't be jealous of other people. You will not be asked about what they have and it is distracting you from managing what you have. Because your focus and attention is elsewhere. And here's the thing that that is problematic. That when we focus on what other people have, there are a lot of things that we don't know and don't understand. First of all, you don't know how they came about it. Whether good or bad, I mean, listen, they could have come about it the right way. They worked hard. They labored. They were up all night. I mean, they were studying. They were researching. They were laboring. And they came about it through some good old-fashioned hard work while you were sleeping. And so you don't know how they got it. You just see that they have it. And you're grudging them. But here's the other side of it. They could have come about it through some bad and unscrupulous means. They could have stole it and here it is. They got it through all kind of trickery and thievery. And there you are, jealousing them for what they have. Focus on what you have. You don't know how they got it. Whether good or bad. James says you will be required via stewardship to report only on your lot. Only on what you got. Then James points out finally verse number nine. Understand this. See this is what needs to reform and renew our minds on this matter of stewardship. He says Behold, the judge standeth before the door. You know what I call this? That there's a righteous ledger that's being kept. A ledger is a bookkeeping term. It's an account or a book of final entry in which business transactions are recorded. Detailed records are stored on a consistent basis. So what is James saying? This judge is standing at the door. Be mindful of the fact that God is observing your stewardship at this very moment. He's keeping an accurate account of our performance. Our management of what he has given to us as a steward. He's seeing what we do with our time, our talent, our treasure, and nothing passes him. He misses nothing. That ought to motivate us to be diligent and consistent and patient and disciplined. Because when we give an account to him, when he returns, we will not fool him. The record will be accurate. There's a righteous ledger. That's why James says, he's standing at the door. He's aware of everything that's happening. So let's endeavor to be good stewards with a Christ-centered mindset. God has no problem blessing us. He has no problem giving us more. If you think of the parable of the steward of the talents, the one who had five, because he did such a wonderful job with the five, And came back with five more. He said, take the one from him who buried it and give it to him. God wants to give us more. But he wants to make sure that we are properly managing what he has already given us. In order to qualify us to get more. Stewardship. James says, let me deal with this matter. Because it's the essence of our blessing. And our qualification to receive blessing." And if we can get this, our mind right, as it relates to things, whether it's material things, whether it's our talent and our time, and we can manage it properly, God will open up doors. You say, how can God give me more time? We only have 24 hours. God can work things out and open doors so you can have more time available within the time that we have. He's able to do that. You is a time is money? It is. But God is able to bless once we are able to demonstrate that we are willing to be good stewards with a Christ-centered mindset. Our focus is not to be on the things. Ultimately, but on Him. And when we put Him first... Everything else falls in line. The essence of proper stewardship.